Welcome to Rhythm of Previews, where we check out the preview chapters of Rhythm of War, the fourth Stormlight Archive novel. I'm Danielle with 17th Shard, and I am no longer a potato. <laughs> well, I have I mean, a new camera. You, you weren't <laughs> a potato in the first place. It was just really bad frame rate. Yeah. No longer a filled potato. And I'm Arvin. Hi, I'm Paleo. Hi. <laughs> this Tuesday, <laughs> Tori released Chapter 6, only one this week. As per a Reddit comment from Peter, we're going to be getting 19 chapters plus that prologue um, in total. So that means we'll have 13 weeks of previews left until release, one chapter per week. Watch this Which episode is- be 45 minutes. Yeah. Uh, it's like, oh, yeah, yeah. Four chapters, 20 minutes. It's like hour, 20 minutes. Then our last episode, right? uh, 105. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I'm the producer, Ghost Eric. Hey, what's up? Hey, what's up? (laughs) (laughs) If you missed our previous episodes, you can find it all in our playlist below. You can find the other chapters, discussions on the forums, in our preview chapter index, which is also in the description. And if you've been following the product chapters and didn't know yet, Brandon is also making comments and leaving sort of little annotations on Reddit for these chapters. But last week, uh, we always record on Tuesday, so we didn't get his uh, comments last week. We're going, we are going to catch up with them now. And basically, last week's annotation talked about how Brandon, over the course of writing this book or even writing the previous novels, he noticed that he'd do an injustice to um, mental disorders such as a dissociative identity disorder uh, by portraying them in this sort of fantastical way. And so he decided to give it more of a realistic spin in Rhythm of War. I guess we can could already see some of that in these chapters. Like, of course, it was a year between and shall unchanged, but we can also see just his portrayal has changed a little. Yeah, Brandon has also said that he has a better reader who consulted him on this so uh, we can hope for a more hopefully accurate depiction of these mental disorders and it's just cool to know that Brandon really cares about it and wants to do a good job oh. yes yeah, so uh, and actually Brandon after somebody else or somebody in the thread asked about how he approached this and he's didn't just change writing her he actually realized that like I'm going to quote him here more. I realized that her downward spiral was going to require me to actively deal with her mental illness in a responsible way. If that makes sense, I wouldn't change much about the past books. I w- it was more that I realized that the place she was going in one uh, this in this one required a much more delicate touch than I could manage, manage without some expert help. And so that goes to show that yeah, Shalan's issues are not only magical, but she actually or has some mental disorder that is real in some way. So it's not just caused by her life. Yeah. Yeah. It's just enhanced by magic. Exactly. Yeah. It's (laughs) exacerbated by the magic. Exactly. As always, there are going to be rhythm of war spoilers ahead. And let's get started with this chapter. Danielle, why don't you summarize what we have here? Okay. So chapter six is called a loose thread. The epigraph basically says a proper fabrial is encased in a wire cage made of specific types of metals to control the device. And then we get into um, Shalon's point of view, Shalon Radiant and Vale's point of view. It's very hard to kind of follow them because they just 
uh, they go from one to the other so quickly within the space of a sentence. Mm-hmm. So, so Radiant um, begins uh, telling the sons to bring her with them because Adolin, again, from the last one, was ch- uh, he was coming back to save her because he thought that he saw the signal. And um, they drag Radiant along uh, with the sack over her head through some winding passageways. And then Shallan kind of takes over and she's able to make sense of the direction and realizes really they're just kind of bringing her around some loops. Uh, They arrive in a cellar of sorts where she hears them disrobing to their normal clothes. Um, And then Vale thinks about how um, Sadius was really crafty and Ili is even more so. Uh, They hear some cultists uh, on the other side of the door, arguing about how it's all coming apart. And then the door opens and then they uh, enter the room to see ILI. And finally, because this is their final goal is to finally see her in person. Um, Radiant wants to get her to say something incriminating, but Vale has a different opinion. She wants to kill her because basically she jeopardizes everything Shalon loved. And they they mention the name of the chapter in this. They say that Vale wants to snip the loose thread, which is Eli. What do you think about this chapter or this part of the chapter? So that's it we didn't get too much new law or anything, but I still think it it served a good purpose of characterizing Shalon even more and showing how like we see again here how Vale and Radiant actually care about Shalan and her sort of, I guess, love life or her her ex- 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 uh, yeah her life is Adeline. Mm-hmm. And yeah, just think that it was fun. Uh, something that was interesting to note, I think, was that uh, Shalan actually, actually uh, Vale says that Shalan has memories of something, and Vale sort of searches them. So. It's even extends to the point that they apparently have distinct memories of events or things, but they're still accessible to each other. So they just make a distinction probably who was in charge at that point. Yeah, that mm-hmm. I found really cool. I found that epigraph to be super, <laughs> super exciting, like lots and lots of exclamation points. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I... I'm so interested to see what the different metals of the wires um, that create that cage around the <laughs> gemstone, the Fabriel. What do they do? It's so exciting. Yeah. Like, I find it also interesting that as Navani says that the metals also are a closely kept secret of the Artifabrials. Like, I mm-hmm. thought that was more of a common knowledge, but apparently it's not. Like, hmm. we see that, like, I guess people would have noticed at this point that Fabrials always use metal, but I guess uh, it's still well, a secret uh, what exactly yeah. they perp- as purpose they serve. They're often used like jewelry, you know, if you think about mm-hmm. yasnas and stuff, they they might just think of it as like a um, aesthetic element, like a gold wire yeah. versus, a, you know, a steel wire or something <laughs> like that. Yeah. Very exciting. <laughs> mm-hmm. and I, ho- uh, I guess we're actually going to learn what metals are actually used because we have never actually gotten a description before. It's just, it's a goldish metal, it's a silvery mm-hmm. metal, and actually to get to know what metals they are will be ex- extra exciting. Yeah. Yeah. That's uh, really interesting. And I can't, I, I'm really sad that there's only one chapter because <laughs> yeah. I'm so excited to see what the next epigraph said. So we'll see next week. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, I mean, I hope we get to see 
like Brandon has mentioned in the in previous swaps that we'll get to learn about metals in this book, and he actually also has sort of hinted at connections to the elementic metals. So mm-hmm. I'm really looking forward to see that maybe I don't know we we it, we don't know if it's all like, actually like we have the alerta fabrials that Risen Risen uses mm-hmm. in her interlude, for instance. And I think it would, would would be super cool if that used bronze for um, yeah, its effect, sort of, because that would be that sort of thematic connection. And then uh, Leshui's spear, Fabriel, has a metal attached to it. We don't know what it is, but it's silvery mm-hmm. metal. So that's well, I'm going to be really keeping my eyes open during my reread and trying to see like what kind of metal is it described yeah. as because <laughs> if it's just like a little throwaway like oh a bronzy color or something that would be really um, I'm kind of going to zero in on that when I start reading uh, rereading those books. Yeah. What else? Oh, uh, Shalon. So um, I think Radiant is uh, thinking about Shalon when Shalon takes over when they're walking through the winding tunnels and she considers um shallan's ability for memorization and like sense of direction to be um incredible and almost supernatural are her actual words and so it's interesting i'm wondering if that's a light weaver thing or because radiant and veil i don't think consider themselves light weavers um and then i'm wondering if maybe it's tied to her uh you know her photographic memory her eidetic memory yeah, I think it's that's sort of the common assumption that one of the or the Lightweaver um, resonance of like we know that each raid and like Windrunners get more squires than the others, and so the common assumption sort of is that the Lightweavers get this sort of eidetic memory or at least increased memory abilities, sort of. And it's cool to see that the characters actually start thinking about this and like they. Yeah try to figure out how, how their powers aren't just affecting or how they can actively use their powers, but also sort of what passive powers they get, if you will. Mm-hmm. So, but I mean, it's also cool to see that Shalan there, like it's limited to Shalan, as you said. So Vale and Radiant don't really see themselves as such, or maybe they also just don't see themselves as having that memory ability. Mm-hmm. And so they don't get it. So mm-hmm. that's cool. So um, I guess we can go on, move on to the next point of view, because that was kind of a short section. Yeah. If you wanted and to go as, over that. As I said, we didn't really learn much in this one mm-hmm. or in this Shalan point of view, but we don't only have Shalan, we also have Kaladin again. And we left him in the last chapter, we left him uh, just before attacking or uh, approaching Leshvi again. And so... It starts with Leshwi is fighting Sixil at the moment, and Sixil is, of course, a less skilled fighter uh, because he's more of a scribe, really. And so she still has her spear that drains the stormlight, and she manages to, or almost manages to kill Sixil there. But she actually spares Sixil, and it's sort of a parallel to how Kaladin earlier uh, or spared the other fused earlier. And so Kaladin actually also demands that Sixel bow to, to Leshvi to show deference and sort of acknowledge that they are now, I guess, even again. And yeah, and Kaladin at that point is also reminded of Elucar's death when he sees Sixel being beaten so thoroughly, which was interesting to note. 
But anyway, we go on to Nashri actually fighting Kaladin again, and the Windrunners are at this point winning the larger battle at hand. So Lashri chases Kaladin, or actually Kaladin chases Lashri, and they show off, sort of show off their skills respectively. But Kaladin has the advantage of knowing the terrain there because it's his hometown. Mm -hmm. So he actually gets to trick her a little. He's about to deal the killing blow to her when she actually sort of pulls off the same feint and also stabs him with her with her magic or her weird spear and starts to drain his stormlight. They sort of deal blows back and forth and and they grin at each other widely, so they're really enjoying that fight. And they break off their attacks then after sort of realizing that they both are want to continue fighting. They don't want to kill each other. And then they notice that Roshan's mana is on fire, actually. And we see the hiking fuse in front of it, who's attacking civilians at this point. And of course, Kaladin can't bear to see that. And it's actually the case that Lashvi also is disapp uh, dis disapproves of the other fuse behavior and actually allows Kaladin to go after him. And even her, he says her eyes almost seem to tell him that go stop him. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, what did you think about all of this happening? <laughs> oh, man, I am not ready for this book. <laughs> I, when Sigzil was uh, fighting and he almost died, I was like, oh, my God, no. <laughs> like, I can't, I don't think I'm going to be able to handle it when someone eventually dies. Seriously. Yeah, I, <laughs> I totally expect one of the, at least, I guess at least, oh, not at least, but one of the minor characters, like a Bridge 4 character, or I don't think one of the major characters is going to die yet, but I definitely expect some really tragic death in this book, and this isn't yeah. helping. Yeah, it's like setting you up to expect yeah. it. It's very anxious. <laughs> um, <laughs> and then um, besides that, I was thinking about um, how Leshwi is fighting Kaladin and um, how she's fighting Sigzil. Once she defeats him and he knows that he's going to die, if he bows and he admits his defeat, she lets him live because Kaladin let her underling live. And um, so it's like they're bound to honor the same way that the Windrunners are. Uh, they're bound to their own set of rules, I guess. So he, and he also, he, when he was about to charge after Sigzil and Leshwi fighting, he didn't interfere because he knew that if he did, they would start rushing his Windrunners in groups instead of doing the one-on-one -on -one fights. So um, they have their own code, much like the Windrunners. This is just establishing that. And I, I'd le really love to learn how, how that sort of code came to be, whether it's something mm -hmm. that they just, it's, whether it's just a cultural thing among the heavenly ones, where they just, okay, they decide, okay, we are going to be honorable and we're going to try mm -hmm. this, or whether it's maybe, I, I wouldn't say magical in nature, but sort of that maybe originally the people who were more honorable among the, the singers sort of because we know that wind runners are honorable like mm -hmm. that's what attracts the honor spread so maybe the power set lends itself to that and so odium when he initially chose the fuse because like they had to be chosen at some point to become fused maybe he also had sort um, had some of the decision playing a role there 
Yeah. Yeah. Um, I like the idea that it's a cultural thing because we saw Leshwe really disapproving of that big mm-hmm. fused demon looking guy. And so, so Leshwe lets Kaladin go and save his people because that's what he does. That's his thing. Yeah. He saves people. And so um, she kind of understands that. So this this big fused guy is driving me crazy. I don't know anything about him. <laughs> <laughs> and we're going to see. So we know that Dalinar was like later on. We know that Dalinar is opening his perpendicularity. He uh, had to close it. And then he's planning on opening it again. And I think that um, in a later chapter soon, we're going to be getting some kind of really good fight scene when Kaladin recharges. Um, he heals his wounds and he's going after this big fused guy to save him. Yeah, really people. looking forward to Kaladin just dealing with him. Kaladin's silent. <laughs> I mean, yeah. he'll come back probably because he's a fused, but yeah. Yeah. But I, bit, yeah. What I really like about this as well, how, like Lashley's reaction to this uh, teleporting fuse, it sets up some internal conflict uh, among mm-hmm. the fuse or this uh, audience mm-hmm. forces. And I mean, it basically also showed that there are factions among them. Like they're not just all on audience side and they're bad, but yeah. there is potential for internal strife and... Let's well, see yeah, it's like goes. the orders, yeah. like the orders mm-hmm. of the Knights Radiant. They disapprove of each other's, you know, uh, oaths. I guess not their oaths, but how they, <laughs> uh, how their mindset is. They kind of disapprove, uh, like Kaladin dealing with Shalon and Shalon's <laughs> like lies and everything. So um, maybe it's something mirroring that. Could be, yeah. I definitely like it would even uh, it would enhance these perils that we already have with like the uh, heavily ones being more honorable. So it would fit thematically. Yeah. And then um, lastly, with, with Leshwi testing him first on his ability to fly, basically she's, she's pulling him on this merry chase all around and doing all these loop de loops and things. And he's <laughs> catching up with her. And so once she realizes, okay, he's, he's, pretty good at this now we can fight like yeah. it's kind of like she's testing his ability so that they can fight honorably matched as you know it seems actually, like a duel yeah Kaladin's abilities at this point also like he mentioned it before in the previous chapters that he is really sort of he's described as sculpting the wind around him and to aid him in his flight and mm-hmm. how he at, at this point he also says how he really sort of spams his lashings if you will, so to rapidly change direction and mm-hmm. things like that. And the shaping the wind sort of, or the air probably points at him also becoming much more adept with his adhesion as a search. Mm-hmm. And so he doesn't really notice that he's using it, but it's because it sort of comes natural to him. Um, but yeah, I think we're going to see some even greater feats from the Windrunners. That's also what Kaladin says, like with even more training, what could they do? Mm-hmm. And excited for that. Any other thoughts about this? So this spear that we have, that or that lash we has. Mm-hmm. Um, for one, he or Kaladin sort of gets a cut across his cheek or neck, and mm-hmm. it doesn't immediately start draining the stormlight. So I guess that points that it being it has to penetrate far or long enough for it to actually drain stormlight away. So it's not sort of this almighty weapon that you can just po- poke someone with and they are drained. There's limitations there. 
But also you mentioned it last time that it might be sort of the key to a weapon against the fuse. Mm -hmm. And this chapter sort of made me come fully on board with that theory because at one point Kellen actually says it feels like his soul is drained away. Mm -hmm. And if that's not evocative, I don't know what is. <laughs> right. Yeah, I I kind of like that idea as well. I mean, when I first thought I was like, hmm, I wonder if this could be used, like what if Kaladin takes the spear and uses it against mm -hmm. him? So be interesting. Um, there was one little spot in there where it was a little confusing to me because Kaladin was fighting her close, close up with Syl mm -hmm. and Syl turns into a blade and then cuts Fleshwe, but it actually draws blood. And mm -hmm. that is kind of unusual from how we know that they normally work, where they just pass through instead of um, actually cutting them. So I wonder what was going on with that. Yeah, I, it's, I, I didn't even really re register to me on the first read because, like, of course, a blade draws blood. I didn't make the connection at this point. But yeah, it's, it's weird that... And somebody on the Discord actually mentioned that we see him draw blood from the other fused earlier as well. So mm. it might be something with the fused. Like I don't know, maybe because mm. they're only they're only sort of searing an actually dead body or something like that. And so True. not really much to go on there yet. I think. Right, yeah, it's just kind of yeah. a curious thing to think about. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Something that's maybe a little more character related. Um, I noticed uh, I mentioned in the summary that at the point where Kellen and Leshwe are in really close quarters and sort of almost killing each other, they find mm -hmm. joy in that and grin at each other. And we sort of discussed last week how people are shipping Leshwe and Kellen now. And yeah, <laughs> there's definitely something developing there between those two, but. I'm not sure what to feel about it and whether I like it. Yeah, I got a lot of comments on that from last video. Um, I didn't mean to like ship them together, <laughs> but I was talking a lot about how it seemed like they were flirting and like smiling at each other and dancing and stuff. I was just commenting that it looked flirtatious, <laughs> that she's drawing him out by like, you know, smiling like on the dance floor if you want to like dance with someone. <laughs> but... <laughs> I actually think that she's testing Kaladin. I think she's maybe trying to get his attraction for a different reason. Like maybe she's wanting to have him become a defector or something like that. She's testing his power. She's trying to see what he can do. She's trying to see him flying around. And um, I don't think that it's like she's trying to check him out to see if he's going to be a good boyfriend or anything. I just think that, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I mean, that just doesn't seem like her, but um, it definitely seems like she's trying to get his attention in, you know, ways. <laughs> and actually like at this point in the chapter, I'll spoil this a little here. We know that Moash is in attendance and maybe that grin there isn't even like Kaladin misinterpret mis misinterprets it and thinks it's sort of in response to the fight, but maybe it's because Leshri knows Moish is here and uh, like she already saw the burning manor. Um, and so she's looking forward to Kaladin sort of losing his temper almost or mm -hmm. um, dealing with that confrontation she, with Moish. He's got a secret, kind of. Like, mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> I know something you don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Definitely, yeah. So just like, to clarify, I, I wasn't shipping them necessarily. <laughs> I was just mentioning that she was kind yeah. of flirting with him. 
and there's definitely mutual respect for each other there but i also don't think it's necessarily going to turn into anything resembling romance <laughs> right <laughs> um yeah there was definitely a respect between them like when he mm -hmm. um he dismisses his soul blade and she kind of turns her her own um spear to the side as as a draw and then yeah. she says you know what you go and you save those people <laughs> and uh, you stop that that big fused guy whatever his name is <laughs> yeah Oh, I really want to know more about this fuse and like we don't even have a name yet for either the type of mm -hmm. fuse or uh, himself. So really He's hope we're getting something there. <laughs> <laughs> yep. So that was Kaladin. And then um, we have a point of view from Navani. So yes. <laughs> back to Navani. And she's back up there on the deck of the fourth bridge. And she's watching the the refugees. She's overseeing the evacuation. Uh, one of her ardents, Falalar, <laughs> is um, fretting about the evacuation. He's stressing um, about the ship's fabrials and uh, that they haven't actually put it through practice yet. But Navani is too distracted. She's watching her, um, well, her stepson Renarin uh, using his stormlight. Um, to distract some of the refugee children he's using his abilities like a light and passing a ball back and forth and she's thinking about how his abilities are kind of strange they're not quite the same as the other truth watchers so then dalinar is about to reopen his perpendicularity so navani wants to be there and then rushu shows up and uh, she's distracted by the Windrunners. She's watching them and kind of making observations about them. And uh, Navani, slightly agitated by her uh, short attention span, um, she's like, just ignore it. We're, we have to take some notes on this on this uh, perpendicularity. And so uh, they watched Dalinar open it. Um, they said it's like opening the fabric uh, of reality, basically. And then she notes that there's a new tone she mentions that it's new. And then she also notes that something about these visions seems different from when she visits using the Oath Gates. So there's something a little different going on from just going um, into Shadesmar. And then Rushu, um, she asked Rushu what her obs observations were, and Rushu wasn't able to see anything, but she did feel a pulse, like a powerful thump, and then felt a sensation of falling into eternity. So they're discussing their findings and they mention Queen Yasna's journals and Navani's kind of like, ah, I didn't even get to read all of them. <laughs> um, so, and then uh, Navani tells Rushu that um, all this research and everything is about the tower, how to reawaken it, how to create more efficient Fabrials and um, find its hidden secrets. And Rushu's just like, neat. <laughs> and then um, all of a sudden Rushu's like, hey, who's that wooden runner? Why is he just standing there looking or floating there looking over the battle and he's not even doing anything. And Navani looks over and guess who it is? It's Moash, the traitor, that murderer, clad in black and watching over the battle. And that is where it ends. It's not, what just as note, it's not where the chapter ends, it's where her viewpoint ends. We it, go back her to viewpoint, yes, that, but, <laughs> So, first of all, I just want to note how much I love Rushu and uh, every chapter with her is just so delightful because it's adorable how she is always so distracted, but it's also fun to note that like nobody seems to learn that she's actually very astute in her observations and actually 
like she notices stuff and you better listen to her because it's usually important stuff. So yeah, it's always cool to have her around. Yeah, I like how she's kind of uh, sees the forest for the trees. She's <laughs> kind of has, and I also like how Navani describes her attention span, like the light from a um, gemstone, yeah. like it radiates in all directions, which is actually really good for Navani because Navani has such laser focus and Rushu yeah. brings her attention to other things. So I think that that's a nice, um, it, she should keep Rushu around. <laughs> Definitely. And actually noting that like that line with how she's more like a sphere with, with more diffused light. I've noticed this in channel with these chapters so far. Uh, Brandon's prose has actually like it has improved considerably from the last. Like, it's steadily improving, but like it really was another step up here. And I really like how he sort of pulls off these more evocative phrasings. That's really cool to see. Yeah. yeah. I definitely noticed a big jump between um, Words of Radiance and Oathbringer. And oh. then this is like Oathbringer on steroids. Like, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, it's really beautiful writing. Yeah. I really, really appreciate that. So something else that I found adorable was uh, Renarin using his sort of enlightened illumination, which is a fun phrase, uh, to take care mm -hmm. of the scared children. And oh, that's just, it's far one, it's cool to see Renarin interacting with people and sort of being social because he's usually sort of uh, he keeps to himself it's cool to see him use illumination there because he's his friend yeah. like this is special and then navani says that his his illumination is a little different and so it's going to be interesting to see what the average truth watcher is able to do versus what his different abilities will be mm -hmm. I mean, I, like she says that uh, the normal or the other truth watchers, let's, let's not call them normal because <laughs> uh, they can do illusions more like the light or at least like Shalan. And mm -hmm. I think uh, like they might have a, be a little less, less skilled there because they also don't like transformation sort of also plays into illumination a little with how they, their skills work. And yeah, but to see that Renarin is able to at least do something with just normal light is uh, really confusing to see because like what is the difference between the two power sets yeah um and with that being said like with his illumination it seems like he's dealing more with light itself rather than just mm -hmm. creating um creating you know an image or something he's actually has this ball of light and he's able to like manipulate it and stuff so it's just um gonna be interesting to see him compared to an <laughs> average truth watcher i really hope you're going to get some viewpoint from him to maybe explore yes. it a little more with gliss as well it would be cool yeah but yeah it's like just tell us something about it, Brandon. I don't like. <laughs> it's like how Navani says, "Oh, that she feels that uh, like the light, the, the board of light he has is blue, and she feels it should be red because of the corruption of his friend." And mm -hmm. like, just tell us something here, and, uh, <laughs> give us some answers. Oh, he'll please. say something, some little throwaway <laughs> sentence, yeah. and it's gonna like blow it wide open. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um. What else? Oh, uh, when the when Dalinar opens up that. 
fabric of reality thing, (laughs) (laughs) the perpendicularity. Um, Navani is observing it and she can see shades more. She can see the ocean of beads and everything very clearly. And she can hear a clear tone. Rushu didn't see it and didn't hear the tone. Is that because Rushu was standing further away maybe, or was it an actual reason like why Navani is able to see it more clearly? I wonder, like she says that the tone is new for her. Like it's, mm-hmm. I, I think it was the same tone she heard the, when Kaladin, uh, Daniel did the super challenge for Kaladin, but it's mm-hmm. altogether something new she's experiencing. And Rusho is uh, experiencing it completely differently. So I think that maybe like it's, it has something to do with the, with the spiritual realm. And yeah, it has to be spiritual, I guess. And I just maybe that they have a different experience yeah, ex- of it. Like maybe it's hinting at something that Navani might experiences uh, experience in the future. Future, like it's mm. a spiritual echo of, like maybe I don't know. Maybe she's in Carbranth and one of the bell bells there sounds, and so she sort of hears that echo from in the future mm. because she le- she have always heard it so <laughs> as a spiritual thing. So, and Rusho has something else that she might have, uh, might yeah, see in the spiritual realm. power that she feels. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so the Ardents and Navani, um, they're not really aware of the spiritual realm. Like they don't say the spiritual realm, but they are theorizing about its existence because this experience and other, I'm assuming other experiences in Shadesmar have a, some kind of feeling like there's something coming from beyond Shades bar. So that's kind of interesting too. But I found it interesting because I think in one of the interludes with like the uh, Ray, um, Ardens who sort of do that sort of quantum entanglement of the Spren mm-hmm. experiment, they actually mention the spiritual realm. So it's a little weird that Navani apparently isn't aware of it, but I mm-hmm. guess it might just be that it's one of the philo- philosophies of how the world works. And it's not like, oh, did you hear that? Yeah. <laughs> maybe she's just not sure if that's what it is and then she's just theorizing yeah. is it something else maybe I don't yeah. know. but it is cool to see that she thinks it's the, might be the key to sort of fixing or at least understanding how Eurythiru or the Fabrials there work which mm-hmm. if anybody finds it out it's Navani <laughs> yeah. right yeah she's the most driven woman <laughs> <laughs> And something else about that line, like she's, or before that, she says that it's not like going to Shadesmar through the Oath Gates. And that's also, just, it's, it's that one sentence and it has so many implications because apparently they figured out how to make the Oath Gates work to not just teleport you, but to actually mm-hmm. let you go into Shadesmar. And yeah. how did they do and that? She's been there a few times, maybe mm-hmm. for taking some measurements, calculations and... <laughs> So I, mean, it, it, I don't know what's different about it, though, because yeah. it doesn't really go into that. Mm-hmm. But I mean, I guess she also went there for her spread interviews and things mm-hmm. like that. So, yeah. And Which I really spread, probably Yeah. I, I bet there are going to be epigraphs. Like, it would be that they are perfect for that, I feel. But maybe not. Maybe it'll be something else. But they're speaking of sort of Spren and Shadesma. I just found that line about like Yasna being Yasna and not sharing her all her journals. It's just, yeah. <laughs> of course you wouldn't. <laughs> I know, I know. I want to read her journals too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
like, just makes me think like what did she all experience while she was in shades well she probably wants to keep some of it secret because she learned a lot more She's than she lets on mm -hmm. she want her yeah. research being stolen <laughs> <laughs> yeah i think anything about I mean, moash showing up <laughs> i mean yeah i well he's there and he's around he's wearing mm. a black uniform that's interesting it's the same uniform as what the Windrunners are wearing, but it's all black. Yeah. And I think that's interesting because we know that the listeners had this uh, tradition of assassins wearing white. And mm. we don't know whether it's like a normal singer thing or whether it's something that developed for the listeners alone. But maybe black also is sort of their signifier of, uh, I don't know, I'm, he's just their super soldiers get dressed black or something like that. Maybe he just wants to look really cool. That, of course, yeah, always <laughs> can go look cool. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I, I sort of expected him to show up because he was always around Leshwi in the, or like he sort of was Leshwi's lackey in the in the in Oathbringer. So he must have been around. And I wonder yeah, I like whether that it's. Yeah. I like that idea that you had about Leshwi's grin and how she's grinning at <laughs> Kaladin because she knows that Moesh is around and Kaladin's just grinning because he's having fun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, I like that idea too. And I, I just makes me wonder whether it's the first run in the have with Moesh again after the year or whether they had skirmishes before it. Mm. I guess we're going to learn in the next chapter, hopefully. Or whenever. <laughs> mm -hmm. I know yeah. we're supposed to have a Venli point of view, right? Yeah, it's uh, like the chapter or the part beginning or the, like the front the page. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm excited for what happened to her, but we'll see when we get it. Yep. Yeah. All right. Any other thoughts? I think that's about it. Like, we probably could talk a lot more about or theorize a lot, but a lot more about we're how the spiritual these, stuff. Yeah, <laughs> we're trying to keep these a little shorter. We said in the last few that we're just trying <laughs> to do little bite-sized portions, and they end up being a whole meal. So, <laughs> but now with it, just one chapter, it'll be a lot shorter and a little mm -hmm. more concise. Yeah. All right, so you can find all of these preview chapters on tour.com. They come out nine a.m. Eastern time. And then we'll also let you know on the 17th shard.com right at nine o'clock when they come out, you can come discuss them on our forums, on our discord or in the comments below. Bye. Bye.